This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is USDA Deputy Secretary Steve Sinsky. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Deputy Secretary Steve Sinsky next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 300 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The COVID-19 pandemic has brought a number of challenges for the nation and certainly for agriculture. USDA Deputy Secretary Steve Sensky says in the midst of the crisis, the country has found a new appreciation for farmers and the sum of the food production system in the country. The food and agriculture industry is one of our nation's critical infrastructure industries where without it, just as if we don't have a transportation system or a health care system, but it has underscored as we've seen some of the grocery stores shelves being emptied and as you have consumers worried about uh, stocking up and uh, making sure that they have food to feed their families, it really underscores the need and the importance of U.S. agriculture and the whole supply chain defined very broadly all the way from the inputs and the seeds all the way through the production and the processing and the marketing and the transportation and logistics. All of that is the importance of what a strong system we have, but also how important it is to our national security and our national infrastructure has certainly been underscored as a result of this pandemic. Are there particular links in the food supply chain that you see more vulnerable or more challenged now? Well, I think what we have seen as as we have some of the bare grocery stores, it's not that there is a lack of availability. We have seen both a hoarding situation where people have bought more in the last 10 days than what some stores have had or move over a two-month or a three-month period. And so we just have to, the supply chain is working to try to catch up with that. I think it also has, uh, as we have moved, uh, much like all of industry, to a just-in-time delivery of our systems within agriculture where you don't have the grocery stores are no longer keeping, you know, two months' worth of supply of items in their warehouses anymore. There's more of a fine-tuned logistics structure. Of course, that has put some stress on the system. But I can really say I'm very impressed, and from all the conversations we've been having with the folks throughout the supply chain, they are ready to meet that demand. I think we have a very responsive supply chain and a very resilient supply chain. And so that is what really gives me faith. And, you know, we we are seeing food being moved at, at record levels. We're seeing food being restocked at record levels. And that I think that just shows the resilience of our supply chain. From the commodity perspective, it seems that the perishable supplies of fruits, vegetables, and even milk would offer more challenges immediately than some other commodities. 
Is there any way to measure the volume or the value of those immediate supplies? Yeah, we have certainly heard from a lot of our folks, especially in the perishable commodities. I mean, the the perishable commodities that the folks that had product that was moving into the food service and restaurant industries, of course, that demand has largely gone away. So that creates some real problems. We're working with that industry to see, and they're working themselves on how can they redirect that from some of those areas into the retail industry. We're working within USDA to work with them on how can we redirect some of that into some of the food banks and some of our feeding programs as well. In many cases, a lot of that is being done privately where they're able to do that, but there's areas where it isn't being done, and we're certainly working with that industry to see how can we deliver that into the food banks and make sure that that food doesn't go to waste. Is the USDA concerned about an oversupply of milk and are there thoughts of reopening programs or providing assistance otherwise through a a period of surplus? We're interested in how can we make sure that we meet that demand at the retail level that we're seeing right now. We are seeing demand for milk, for instance, in our school feeding programs, one of the challenges that the schools have, and we still have the same requirements that milk and and our encouragements that milk be served, uh, but of course with so many school systems shut down, they're operating under their summer feeding type programs where meals are provided as a grab-and-go or at distribution sites, and so it's not congregate feeding because of the COVID-19 situation. And a lot of schools don't have the uh, capability to have refrigeration for that milk. They can also serve shelf-stable milk as well, but there just isn't the capacity for that. Uh, we're working with the schools on seeing how can we help them make sure that they can still distribute nutritious milk as part of their school meals that they're delivering to children, but also make sure that it's kept refrigerated while it's being distributed out to them through the kind of remote distributions. Speaking uh, on that same topic, uh, certainly there are a number of school systems and individuals that are so grateful for the USDA in making determination to allow those meals still to be served breakfast and lunch for students. I spoke to one particular district where almost 80% of their students are eligible for assistance and they have been taking full advantage of this particular program. That has been one of our top priorities here at the department and for Secretary Purdue and the president is to make sure we're still getting meals to kids because we know that they need to be fed. We know that for many kids, unfortunately, the best meals or perhaps the only meals that they're having is that school breakfast and that school lunch and that snack during the day. And we need to be sure that we're providing that nutrition to those kids. And so that's been a priority of ours to make sure we've granted uh, the waivers that have come in from the state so that uh, they can move to these summer feeding type program situations or that kind of stance for the distribution of those meals. They can still get the meals to those kids, really trying to provide all the flexibilities to those school districts and to the state so that they can continue to feed these kids. Thinking of programs that are already in place and a part of the 2018 Farm Bill, is there a discussion or consideration of reopening sign-up for, per se, the Dairy Margin uh, Protection Program or other cropping programs that might help producers in this downturn? 
I think we'll be willing to take a look at that. There's nothing there uh, per se right now that we haven't decided to do any of that. Uh, I think we're taking a look at, you know, all of the flexibilities that we have for our programs in the event that we thought it would be really helpful. That's something that we could certainly consider, and I think we'd want to do some analysis on that to see do producers really think that that would be helpful. I do think we want to provide flexibility on our sign-up periods for folks to sign up. Of course, we have the ARC and the PLC deadlines that just passed. Again, most people had signed up. The analysis that we've seen is that it, and what we heard back from producers of what happened with COVID-19 in the markets really wouldn't have changed their decisions anyway. But I think as we move forward, we're going to be looking at all the, our deadlines and really trying to provide the flexibility that producers need. There are news reports that Secretary Purdue has asked the Department of Justice to take a look into the recent price swings that we've seen in cattle. Can you speak to that at all? We have been following very closely, and the Secretary and all of us here at the Department have been very concerned about the divergence that as boxed beef prices have gone up, as folks have been emptying the supermarket shelves, but we haven't seen the fat cattle or the feeder cattle prices reacting in the same way, and that margin has gotten worse, and certainly we've heard from a lot of beef producers and cow-calf operators who are very concerned about that. So the Secretary has spoken with the Commodity Futures Trading Commission about this and taking a look to see what can be done there. Certainly, we do have the Packers and Stockyards authorities uh, that we have at USDA. And, of course, uh, the Department of Justice can examine and has examined the beef market in the past as well, including after the Holcomb fire in Kansas, about any kind of divergence that happened there in between box beef prices and the prices that producers were receiving. How has COVID-19 affected operations of USDA? Are your expenses up? Yeah, we have been very much uh, working to make sure that we can readjust our stance to make sure that we're still providing the services that producers expect, but while also trying to do all that we can to keep our employees safe and trying to slow the spread of the disease. We have moved within a lot of departments and with some agencies to telework for the most part while still delivering the services. We have basically cut out, for at least for right now, office appointments, uh, in-person visitors, those kinds of exchanges that might occur across the counter. But yet we're also still moving forward with doing the kinds of activities that we know we need to do to support agriculture, whether that's continuing to work with farmers on conservation plans or work on farm program issues, loans, of course, uh, farm loans. But there's some of our employees who are absolutely frontline and have to remain in the front line and doing their jobs. And I'm thinking there are meat inspection personnel that are in our meat, poultry, and egg processing plants and slaughter plants. They still have to continue to do their jobs. We have our other commodity graders and food inspectors for a host of the different commodities that they still have to be at work and make sure that we're doing our part to keep that food supply chain strong and resilient. And so um, we've been working to balance that as we have gone through this COVID-19 situation. You know, I think we're doing, I think, a good job so far and still working to keep our employees safe. 
while still keeping our services going to the American public and our customers who depend on us. Whether it's the CCC or whether it's other avenues of budget, what resources does the USDA have that could come to the assistance of farmers in the country of agriculture, of the agriculture industry, and how important is it that Congress provide additional funds if you're going to be called on to provide additional assistance? The administration has officially requested to the Congress some increased funding for our food safety inspectors and for some of the activities that we need to keep uh, providing our services during this time. And so we've we've made that formal request. We've also been working with the Hill as they have been working on the emergency response and stimulus package. One of the key provisions that has been working on is to provide the Commodity Credit Corporation with an early replenishment. The CCC has a borrowing cap on a yearly basis of $30 billion dollars. And that funds a lot of our farm programs, our conservation programs like the CRP and others. And what is being uh, proposed in the Senate is to replenish that uh, rather than at the end of the fiscal year, do it now. There have been members of the legislature that raised questions about how the MFP program was administered in both 18 and 19. Uh, and I know that there is a look at that from a couple of different angles. Any word on the results of those program re- reviews? And, and then as the, as the Deputy Secretary, can you speak to the attitude that USDA used uh, when coming up with the criteria and the administration of this program? Yes, uh, and uh, I think what we have heard, certainly heard from most producers, is that that assistance that was provided under the uh, MFP program, uh, market facilitation payments, was extremely helpful. And if you take a look at the maps on which commodities and which areas of the country were most impacted by trade and the trade retaliation that took place, and then you overlay that with the maps of where the payments have gone, they're highly, highly correlated. And so I think uh, if you take a look on that point, we were really spot on on doing that. By and large, we've received high marks. There's a few critics out there, but I think that we did a very good job. Of course, on the first round of payments, it was on a commodity-by-commodity basis based on the estimated trade impacts from the retaliation that took place. Of course, on the second round of the payments, that occurred during planting, and so we had to announce a program that went influence planting decisions and again but under both programs if you take a look at which commodities were most impacted by trade and the value of production and then you take a look at where the payments went to and those states and counties they're very highly correlated and so we think we did a really good job labor is an awfully big issue for u.s agriculture do you see a way forward that there can be enough h2a workers in the country to get the industry through this year that has been a big issue that we have been working on during this situation and and we've been working with the state department the department of homeland security and the department of labor made it a huge priority um you know i've had uh discussions with the Assistant Secretary of State for Consular Affairs, uh, making sure that we prioritize the processing of the H-2A visas in the in the consulates, whether they it's a consulate in Mexico or in some of the Caribbean countries or in South Africa. Most of our 
H-2A labor does come from uh, Mexico, and so they have made it a priority to process those first and foremost. Uh, we're also provided flexibility. We've been working that those already in the country, those H-2A workers, can stay here, make it easier for them to transfer from farm to farm. Um, and we're looking to make sure, too, that those workers who had H-2A visas in the past, that they're able to get those again uh, without having to go through the interview process because our consulates, our embassies and our consulates, their staffing is way down because of the COVID-19 situation as well. And so we've been working to provide all kinds of flexibilities that can be done there, and it's something that we're working to even further expand. But I think the flexibilities that we've announced and that have been announced so far, as well as some others that are underway, uh, we're really hoping that that, that addresses uh, the labor challenges. Seeing now USMCA approved by all three trading partners has to be a relief for USDA and certainly for the ag industry. But are you, are you concerned that this COVID-19 situation might affect trade between neighbors? Well, our hope is that it doesn't. Uh, certainly while we have travel uh, restrictions between Canada and, and the United States and in Canada and the United States and Mexico for discretionary personal travel, it is not very much not intended to affect the trade in goods. And we've been having conversations with our counterparts from both Mexico and Canada to try to make sure that, that, that it doesn't. And if there are any issues that arise, that we're able to respond to them and get those uh, straightened out. What we are seeing with regard to, I think it's great to have the USMCA done and so that that provides that certainty for that trade to continue. We have been seeing, you know, despite the COVID-19 situation, we've been able to make good progress on implementing the phase one of the China deal as well, where we are continuing to announce agreement after agreement that that resolves a lot, a number of longstanding market access issues. And we continue to um, expect China to meet their purchase commitments. They have been making some purchases. We look for that to really ramp up in the months to come as well. On implementing the 18 Farm Bill, there was recent news on assistance for young and for beginning farmers. It would seem certainly that group is vulnerable with the downturn in the farm economy and now this COVID situation. What work is being done to implement the bill and certainly targeting this particular group of the industry? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Jeff, that those uh, folks are really can be hard hit by this situation. And so we're looking at, number one, to implement the provisions. We've already implemented a lot of those provisions, and that means that those young and beginning farmers can qualify for lower interest rate loans, more favorable terms uh, for their participation in our various programs, higher cost shares, all of those statutory things that we're able to do, and we're doing all of that. We've also implemented our beginning farmer program system nationwide, where we have a beginning farmer coordinator here at USDA, but we also have uh, and are designating beginning farmer coordinator uh, folks in each of our state offices to work on how they how we can adapt our programs to try to help young and beginning farmers and I think last I would say you know we're very much open to using our authorities 
and flexibilities wherever we can uh, to try to help them as uh, because we know that once again that there can be particularly impacted uh, during this COVID-19 situation. Deputy Sinsky, we want to thank you very much for taking time out of what has to be an incredibly busy schedule during this period of agriculture and, and the uh, situation that we're facing. We want to thank you for your time and uh, offer you the opportunity to have the last word in our conversation today. Well, it is, uh, again, my pleasure to, to participate and an honor to serve on behalf of America's farmers and ranchers and foresters that are so important uh, as we have just uh, celebrated National Ag Day. Once again, that importance of a strong and vibrant food and agriculture supply system has really been underscored as we deal with this crisis, and I'm so very proud to be working on behalf of and with the farmers and ranchers of this country. Our thanks to USDA Deputy Secretary Steve Sinsky, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop Insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.